Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 7. The Bible says, And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that every one which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. It shall come to pass that while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Let's read verse 21 and 22 once more. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your word, manifesting it, Lord, not only in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, but in the preserved word of God that sits before us. I pray, Lord, that each heart would be touched and affected in a way that would bring you glory and honor. Lord, we don't know what each human heart needs. We don't even know what our own heart needs, except that we draw closer to you. But Father, you know what we need this morning. You knew who would be here. You knew each heart that would be in attendance and present. 
And so, Lord, we're trusting you with your word to do in us what needs to be done. If there's any amongst us lost and undone, show them their need of Christ before it's everlasting too late. Father, we love and thank you for it. And we'll ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I read this account given of Moses speaking with the Lord, I'm struck by the place that Moses occupies in Scripture. You see, you'll find as you study through the Word of God that there's not very many people that hold more prominence in the Word of God than Moses did. In fact, we find that Moses is a type of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The book of Acts makes that clear to us. Speaking of an Old Testament prophecy that a prophet like unto Moses would be raised up, and that prophet that would be raised up was none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh. And even to this day, if you were to talk to an Orthodox Jew, and if you were to ask them, who is the greatest Jew that has ever lived? Who, if you picked one man to exalt of your ethnicity and nation above all the others, who would you pick? Now, most of us would assume it would be Abraham. But in fact, it was the great deliverer Moses, by whose hand God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses occupies a very prominent place in Scripture. But as I read this passage this morning, I see in the life and actions of Moses not only a picture of Christ, and there is a picture of Christ there, not only a picture of the Jewish nation within many ways uh, Moses as its federal or judicial head, and in many ways that's what you see in this passage. But as I read this passage, I see in Moses a picture of you and I in our lost condition when we were without Christ in this world and in need of salvation. You see, when I read this passage, I'm struck by the presence of this rock that is spoken of. You see, if I could just put it by way of introduction very simply, if I could summarize what I'm going to try to preach to you this morning, I would say that we see Moses shown the rock. Can I say that until you see Jesus Christ crucified, evidently set forth before you, you'll never come to know Christ. When I got saved, it was because in my spiritual mind's eye, I saw the reality of the cross of Calvary. And it became real to me. But then we see Moses not only shown the rock, but we see Moses by faith standing on the rock. And I've heard some people say, well, which comes first, faith or conviction, or conviction or faith? And that's kind of the chicken and egg thing. You know, I heard a fellow say the other day that he got on eBay and he ordered a, a chicken from one place and an egg from another. He wanted to see which would come first. Amen? And the truth of the matter is, you can't be convicted except there is a measure of faith in it. You've got to believe that what God's saying about you is true. And you won't ever have faith except you're first convicted and shown that God is a reality. And so Moses is called to stand. That's something he must do. He sees the rock, but now he must stand upon the rock by faith. Once he stands upon it, we see Moses is stowed away inside the rock. Oh, what a picture of salvation this morning. I've been teaching on it through this Galatians study. Some of you probably knew I was going to be preaching on this this morning already just because it's blessed my heart so much. But studying through the Bible doctrine of justification. Yeah, I've heard people say before, and, and I made mention of this last Monday, people say, well, justification is just as if I'd never sinned. Well, that sounds good. I understand why they say that. It sounds cute. It sounds trite. But here's the reality. Justification is so much more than just as if I'd never sinned. 
Justification doesn't put us back in the Garden of Eden with Adam. Justification places us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Justification is literally the act whereby God spiritually places us within Jesus Christ. And we're placed in the cliff of the rock. You see, I look at Moses and I see a picture of myself when I was unsaved. I see a picture of you when you were unsaved. And truthfully, I see in him this morning a picture of every lost sinner, every person born in this world is born in sin, and in some ways Moses represents them in this passage. I want us to notice first off the passion of mankind that Moses typifies. You see, what Moses wanted is really what everybody wants, if they were to be honest about it. The things that Moses desired are really the things that all of humanity craves and desires, if they were to be abundantly honest before you. Now, some of you are saying, well, you know, the world wants money. Well, can I be honest with you? It's not necessarily money in and of itself. It's the power that comes with money. It's the security that comes with money. It's the privilege that comes with money. It's the independence that comes with money that the world wants. It's not really money in and of itself, uh, because money in and of itself, especially now, ain't nothing but green paper, amen? And they're printing more of it every day. It's what goes along with it. It's what's implied by it. It's what, if I can say this without making a pun, it's what's bought by money that the world wants. No, I don't mean money. Some of you say, well, love. People want true love. No, what people want is acceptance. That's what they want. They want acceptance. It's not that they necessarily want somebody to love. They want somebody to love them. And as I look at Moses, I notice three things that he asked for. And tell me this isn't a picture of humanity today. Look at verse 13 with me. Now, Moses has set up the tabernacle. And it's a meeting place between the nation of Israel and God. And Moses goes out to the tabernacle, and there in that tabernacle, he is speaking with the Lord, and he asks God for three things. Look at verse 13. He says, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. And consider that this nation is thy people. Can I say to you that the first thing that humanity is looking for, every man, woman, and child born into this world, if they were to be honest, if they were to get down to the threadbare of it with you, they're looking for guidance to heaven. He says, show me now thy way. He says, Lord, I want to know the way that you walk. God, I want to know how to get where you're at. God, I want to know how to be within your presence. And can I say that it's always been the ambition of humanity to know the way to heaven. Even to this very... Do you remember when they built the Tower of Babel? And we could talk about what that tower was and what the implications were. Uh, but I personally believe when it says they built a tower to heaven, I don't necessarily think that that's saying they tried to just stack level on level as high as they could to get there. I think what that's speaking of is the setting up of astrological worship. They were trying through astrology to gain some means to know the way to heaven, some key to unlock the door of heaven, some way to get into the presence of God, because it's always been the desire of humanity to find that way back to the place where God created us. Can I give you some good news today? I know the Roman Catholics think that Peter's got the keys to heaven. I'm aware of that. Uh, but I, I'm just, I got to do one up on them because I don't just have the keys to heaven. I've got the door to heaven. Christ said in John chapter number 10, I am the door. 
I mean, if you know Jesus Christ, you know the way to heaven. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Mankind has always sought for guidance into the way of heaven. But I think also, listen to this, he says, show me now thy way that I may know thee. He's seeking, and he'll ask it in verse number 18. He says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. What is he saying when he says, show me thy glory? What's the glory of God? The glory of God is the person and presence of God. When he says, show me thy glory, he's saying, God, I want to know more about you. I want to understand you. God, I want to know something of you. And could I say that mankind has always sought for guidance to heaven, uh, but I think mankind has always sought for the glory of the knowledge of God. They may have not sought for it in the right places. I'm well aware of that. The Bible says that the world by wisdom knew not God. Why couldn't they find? Because they was looking through wisdom. And it don't come through earthly wisdom. It don't come through academic uh, acumen. It doesn't come through intellectual prowess. But it comes through the person of Jesus Christ. The world always, and we're talking about it this morning, uh, the great hot-button issue in this world is not the belief in God, but the belief in the person of Jesus Christ. You can talk about God with the Muslims and they don't get upset. You can talk about God with the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't get upset. You can talk about God uh, with the Hindus, and as long as they don't start talking about uh, the 279,999,999 other gods they believe in, everybody's okay. But now when you say the name Jesus Christ, you're really saying something. You've you've delineated, you've you've, uh, defined yourself when you say the name Jesus Christ. Why is it that John said in 1 John chapter number 2 that if any man uh, deny the Father and the Son, he said, he that hath not the Son hath not the Father. He that denieth the Son hath not. You know why? Because everybody claims to know God. Everybody. Oh, you'll find a few militant atheists. You'll find a few that have convinced themselves that they do not have this desire. But the fool hath said in in his heart there is no God. The reality of it is all of humanity has always sought to understand something of God. Why do you think that idolatry has always plagued humanity? Because they're trying to put a, a face on who God is. They're making a graven image. What was the great sin? Just one chapter earlier that the nation of Israel committed, they made a graven image. And, you know, we always kind of think that when they made that graven image, uh, they were making that image to Ra or to Isis or Osiris or another Egyptian god. But the Bible says that they kept a feast unto Jehovah. It, they weren't trying to worship an Egyptian god. What they were trying to do is make a graven image of Jehovah, the Lord God. You know what the problem with that is? They don't know what he looks like. They had to superimpose their ideals of who God was upon the person of Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty. The Lord says, make no graven image to me or to anyone else. He says, I'll reveal myself to you. Mankind has always sought to know something of the glory of God. But then notice what he says at the end of the verse. He, in fact, this, this phrase sandwiches these thoughts. He says that I may find grace in thy sight. Can I say that in a sense, this world has always sought grace, or let's put it this way, the favor of God. I know, again, I know there's some that that live in open rebellion. And I'm not trying to say the world's all right, and I'm not trying to say the world's trying, and I'm not trying to say the world's not reprobate. I understand that it is. You see, it's not that they don't want these three things, it's that they don't want Jesus Christ. And the only way to get these three things is in the person of Jesus Christ. But everybody wants to be okay with God. 
In fact, people will say it all the time. If you get out and knock on doors and talk to people, you'll ask them, you ever been saved? And, you know, they know the language, so they'll say, yeah, I've been saved. You'll say, well, what do you base that upon? Why do you believe that you're saved? And they'll say, well, you know, me and God, we're just all right. Well, I'll tell you right now that in, until you've met the person of Jesus Christ and put your faith in him, you have no peace with God. You may claim to have peace with him, but he does not have peace with you. Peace only comes through the person of Jesus Christ. But notice how they say it. They say, me and God are all right. What they're saying is, I found favor in the eyes of God. God has forgiven me. may not be based upon Christ, but they're claiming that God's forgiven them. And they're claiming to have favor in his eyes. You see, really what Moses wanted is what everybody wants. But there were some problems. Notice not only the passion of mankind, notice the problems of Moses. Look at verse, uh, i tell you what, look at chapter 32. You may have to turn a page. But the reason Moses is pleading for this is because these are the things that he wants. And it can only come through the presence of God. It can only come through seeing his glory. But there are some things that are hindering him from doing that. Look at chapter 32. Look at verse number 30. Now, you know what has happened, don't you? Uh, Aaron has made the graven image, made the, uh, the cow of gold. And Moses has come down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. I say Ten Commandments, more than ten. But he came down off the mountain. He sees what's taking place. He, at first they hear it. Joshua's walking with them. Joshua says, hey, Moses, it sounds like the noise of war in the camp. Somebody's fighting down there. And Moses says, no, I, I, I know what fighting sounds like. That's not fighting. He says, that's not people yelling for mastery or yelling because they're overtaken. They're playing down there. And what he meant by playing is they were uh, involving themselves in paganistic worship and uh, illicit sins. Moses comes down and he sees this, draws a line in the sand, says, you're either going to go with God or you're going to go your own way. And he went and he took that golden calf and he ground it up and he put it in the water. He made them drink that water. And God has plagued the nation of Israel. And Moses then goes to make intercession with God. And he says in verse number 30, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin... And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. Now, I want you to notice the statement God says. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. What was it that was preventing? And I understand that God, when he says that, he's speaking of the nation of Israel. But let's be honest now. We have it even recorded in Scripture times when Moses sinned. Moses couldn't even enter the promised land because of sin that he committed. And the reality is one of the reasons that Moses could not be in accord or in peace with God or go into his presence or see his glory or however you want to describe it is because Moses had a sin problem. He was a sinner and sin must be dealt with. You notice that God says to him later, says, no man shall see my face and live. And yet all of heaven is going to be us gathered around the throne of the Lamb. And all of the new Jerusalem here on this earth is going to be us gathered around the throne of the Lamb and beholding him that died for our sins. Beholding, not through a glass darkly, but face to face. What's the difference? Moses had this sin problem. 
And all of humanity has a sin problem. If we don't talk about the sin problem, we're not talking about the problem. As long as we can talk about social problems and not get to the problem. We can talk about, uh, about societal problems and not get to the problem. We can talk about poverty problems and not get to the problem. We can talk about hunger problems and not get to the problem because the problem, the chief problem that this world has is a sin problem. It plagues every single person born in this world. It damns them in a way that poverty or social issues never could. And it never leaves them except through the blood of Jesus Christ. Moses had a sin problem, but I see a second problem that he had. Look what it says in chapter 33 and verse 12. It says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. You know what Moses is saying? Moses is saying, God, the things that you've asked of me, I'm not able to do. Moses had a sin problem, but Moses had a strength problem. Moses didn't have the capacity to get the job done that God had called him to do. Can I say to you that the lost sinner, he has a sin problem. But it goes even further than that because the lost sinner, he doesn't have the strength or the righteousness or the capacity in and of himself to deal with that sin problem. No amount of... I mean, listen, you can be baptized so many times till you're waterlogged. You can join so many churches that you have to have a computer database to keep up with them. You can shake the hand of every single preacher that you could find in this world and it will not fix your sin problem. Because you have a strength problem. You can't do it on your own. None of us can. Anybody that's ever been born again, they've not done it in and of themselves or of their own strength. Not of works, lest any man should boast. We have a strength problem. It's not in our capacity. I've heard people say before, you know, well, you just die and go to hell and pay for your own sins. And, I, and I've given this illustration. I won't labor it, but I do want to mention it. Any time that we pay a debt off, there comes a point where we cease to have to pay it. If you go out and buy a home or buy a car, you've got a set term to that loan. And when you pay it off, you quit making payments. But the Bible says about hell that the smoke shall ascend up forever and ever. The Bible says uh, in uh, Luke chapter number 16, when the rich man uh, is in hell, you know what uh, Abraham says to him? says, there's a great gulf fixed between us. So that they which would pass from us to you cannot, and they which would pass from thence cannot. Hell is a finality. The lake of fire is a finality. You don't die and go to hell and pay for your sins there. You can't pay for your sins. You say, well, then how is God's justice satisfied? Because sins have already been paid for on Calvary. Christ paid for it. He's the Savior of all men. You say, does that mean everybody's saved? No, that means if they're going to get saved, it's only going to be through Him because it says, specially of them that believe. But the justice and holiness of God was satisfied on Calvary. Listen to me and don't misquote me now. The justice and holiness of God was satisfied on Calvary for everyone, not just for those saved or unsaved. But now that holiness and justice, you know, the Bible says all judgment is committed unto the Son. That sin debt was paid for. You say, why do people die and go to hell? Because they reject the one that paid for it. They reject the one that paid for it. When a sinner dies and goes to hell, he doesn't atone or pay for his sin. He doesn't propitiate his sins. His sins have already been took care of on Calvary. He dies and goes to hell because he's rejected the one that made the payment. That's why he dies and goes to hell. 
We don't have the strength. But I see a third problem. Look what it says uh, down in verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 15. The Bible says, uh, And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Now he's speaking of the presence of God going with the nation of Israel. And listen to what Moses says. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? Look at this. So shall we be separated. I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Now, don't misquote me now, but listen carefully. Moses had a sin problem. Moses had a strength problem. But Moses had a separation problem. You see, Moses couldn't produce in himself or in the nation of Israel the changes that needed to be made. Can I say that a sinner can turn over every leaf, every new leaf, every old leaf? He can borrow leaves from his neighbors to turn over. But it's not a new leaf that the sinner needs. It's a new life. He can try to uh, renovate. He can try to reform. He can try to redeem himself. He can try to change his life. He can throw away the bottle. He can throw away the needle. He can get out of the illicit relationship. And he'll still be an unregenerate lost sinner outside of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, a sinner doesn't have the capacity. Don't you think if this world could fix its own problems, it would have figured out a way to do it by now? And yet this world gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. More and more depraved, it seems, every day. More and more sin sick every day. Moses said, Lord... If we don't have your presence, we can't make the change. We can't be a separate people. We can't be different from these Canaanite uh, nations around us. We can't put away our pagan gods. We can't do these things, Lord. We can't be separated from these other nations except you go with us. He had a separation problem. But then there's good news. I want you to notice not only the passion of mankind, the problem of Moses, but notice the place of meeting that God prescribed. Now, this is where it gets good, friend, because right now all I've done is depress you. But I'm getting ready to, to it, it wouldn't be impress. It would be, I've deflated you, I'm going to inflate. No, that doesn't work. I'll tell you what, let's just preach and see what it does. Amen. God says this to Moses. Moses says, Lord, I've got all these problems. I can't lead these people. I feel like I've not found grace in your sight. God, I'm hopeless and I'm helpless. And what does the Lord say to him? In verse number 21, he says this, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. Moses has said, Lord, show me your glory. Give me grace. Guide me into your way. God, I need you. And he says, All right, Moses, if you want me, there is a place by me. For you to stand. I want you to notice three things about this place. I want you to notice it's a particular place. He says, behold, there is a place by me. I've thought about this so much, and I don't even know how to preach it. But I got to thinking about what God was referencing. God says, behold. That's a command, isn't it? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon. Behold. That's a command to look at something. And I'm sure there's some that would say, well, he's pointing to the rock. And it's very likely where they were camped that the rock he was going to show Moses his glory from was probably within eyesight. And that may be true. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
But where are they at? Oh, I like this. Where are they at? Now, notice it says, and some of you are going to skin me, but you just let me finish. I, I do notice that these words are in italics. And you say, well, preacher, does that mean they don't matter? No, that's not what that means. It does tell us that in the phrasing in the, in the Hebrew that those words were not there. They've supplied them for a flow of thought. But let me say that I believe those words are very important because they make a promise to us and distinguish something very valuable. But I am interested in how this flows if we don't put those words. Because if we were to read those without them, it would sound like this. Behold a place by me. That draws the focus and attention onto the place that God is at that moment. Now you say, where are you getting that, preacher? You can see that look. Sometimes when I get preaching, I know what it's going to be, but you don't know yet. I just grin like a boss. Where's, Mo- where's Moses and God at? They're in the tabernacle. Where did the Shekinah glory meet? It met in the Holy of Holies. Where was the place that God's presence was? By the Ark of the Covenant. What do you reckon God was pointing at? You don't have to believe this if you don't want to, but don't you say anything about me believing it, because I'm having too much fun. I think he was pointing to the mercy seat. I think when he says, Behold, a place! Behold, there is a place. Oh, I know he's talking about a rock. We'll get that in a moment. But I think the Lord's pointing to a mercy seat. Do you understand that the book of Hebrews teaches us that all the Old Testament tabernacle, with all of its patterns, with all of its specifications, is but a shadow of heavenly things? There's an earthly tabernacle. There's a heavenly tabernacle. There's an earthly outer court. There's a heavenly outer court. There's an earthly brazen altar. There's a heavenly brazen altar. There's an earthly Ark of the Covenant. Do you know in the book of Revelation, last time the Ark of the Covenant's mentioned, it's in heaven? And do you know that if there is an earthly mercy seat, there's a heavenly mercy seat where the blood of Jesus Christ was placed for your sins and mine? Oh, there'll be some who want to fight and argue with me about it, and that's just being a good Baptist. I get that, and we'll do that later. But I personally believe that when Jesus Christ died for our sins, well, I do believe he descended into the lower parts of the earth, but I believe he ascended on high, as the book of Ephesians says. I I believe that he took that precious blood and he presented it before God the Father. He said, oh, God, this is what you've looked for. This is what you've longed for. All the blood of every lamb, of every bullock, of every sheep, of every turtle dove was not sufficient, God. But this blood, this perfect blood, pure blood, innocent blood that you've looked for. Here it is, God. All of heaven is along for it. All of the angels have prayed for it. Here it is, Lord. Here is the blood for the mercy seat. And I think God looks at Moses and he said, Moses, there's a place by me. I think there's a second place. I might come up with 15 of them before I'm done. I don't know. Because God just shows you things while you're preaching sometimes. But I think there's another thing that's mentioned Wonder where that mercy seat, wonder where that was. In he- you know, he says there's a place by me. Wonder where that is. Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, after he ascended, after he had resurrected, appeared to his disciples, he ascended up on high and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. You say, what's justification, preacher? Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
and hath raised us up together with Christ Jesus and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I think when he says there's a place by me, he's talking about a throne as well. But I see a third place he's speaking of. I told you we get to it. He says, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. You say, where do you think that rock was? Well, I think, I think it depends on what point in time you're talking about. Now, you don't have to believe that. But the Bible tells us in the New Testament that there was a rock that followed them. You say, how did a rock follow them? I don't know how the Lord created the heaven and earth in six days. But it did. And that rock that followed them, that rock that gave forth that water, that rock that Moses struck. You say, I thought it was on a mountain. Yeah, I think the rock was on the mountain. Because he says, there is a rock, and thou shalt stand upon it. That rock, the Bible tells us, was a picture of Jesus Christ. You see, I see that this is a particular place. But I see this as a permanent place. I think this is that very same rock. I think that this mountain that God's speaking of uh, pictures for us Jesus Christ. And you don't get something much more solid than a rock, do you? And some of you say, well, he was just in the cliff to the rock. Yeah, but remember what was on the other side. The hand of God. You remember what Christ said in John chapter number 10? It says, no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. Can I say to you that once you've been placed in Jesus Christ, neither height nor depth, any other creature shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was a permanent place. Some of you say, oh, but Moses came down off the mountain. Yeah, but that visit, that changed him. And after all, that rock, that's not saying that that physical rock was literally Jesus Christ. It's saying that rock was a picture of Jesus Christ. You and I, we've been placed in him. Oh, I I need about six more sermons to preach this. I think six would do it. Maybe seven. Do you understand that your spirituality is vested in the person of Jesus Christ? You've been placed within Him. Therefore, if any man be what? In Christ. He is a new creature. I'm not just with Christ. I'm not just around Christ. I'm not under Christ. And thank the Lord, I'm not above Christ. There's no one above Christ. I'm in Christ. You say, preacher, we fail. Yeah, we do. We do, but Christ doesn't. And we're in Him. say, preacher, what if I don't hold out? Oh, you got this thing all wrong, friend. It's not about you holding out. It's that He's holding on. You're in Him. He said, I and them and they and me and all of us is one in John chapter 17. We see this was a permanent place, but we see it was a protective place. God said, I'm going to put you in the cliff of that rock. I've always thought about that cliff that was made in the sight of our Lord and Savior, out of whom came water and blood. You say, why was that made? That was made so that I could be put in. You see, these wounds were there for my transgressions and iniquity, but this wound was there for my justification, that I might be placed within him. God says, Moses, no man can see my face and live. Nobody can see me, Moses. Why is that? Because God's so holy. God is a consuming fire, the book of Hebrews tells us. 
the presence of God can strike a man dead. You say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. Do you know that in the Old Testament, when the high priest on Yom Kippur would go in on the Day of Atonement, that he would have around the hem of his garment. By the way, boy, that's another study you ought to do sometime, that hem of his garment. And around the hem of his garment, they would sew bells onto it. And they would take a rope and they would tie around his waist. And whenever he would go in there, they would listen for the bells to be ringing. And if the bells quit ringing, they knew. And they took the rope and they pulled his lifeless body out. You know why? Because God had told them, I said that if any man enters into my presence with sin in his heart, I'll strike him dead. Strike him dead. That's how holy God is. He says, no man shall see me and live, Moses. But now if I just put you in this place that I've prepared for you, if I just take you and put you on the rock and in the rock and shield you with my hand, then, Moses, you can see something and know something of my glory. I want us to notice, I like this, notice the product of this meeting place. Notice, first off, that Moses was shielded. He was shielded from the wrath of God. Can I say that if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've come to Christ in simple faith and called upon Him to forgive you and redeem you, if you've done that, the Bible says in John five twenty four that you pass from death unto life and shall not come into condemnation. You see, you've met Christ at Calvary and you've been placed within Him. And God won't send you to hell any more than He'd send His own Son. God won't cast you off any more than He would His own Son. Christ has paid for our sin debt at Calvary. He's been to the cross. He's come down. Regardless of what the Roman Catholics think, He's not being put back on the cross. That debt has been paid. He's done. He's raised in power and in glory. He's not going back. And if my old man has been crucified with Him, and if I've been raised to walk in newness of life, as the Bible says I have, if I've been saved, then I'm not going on that cross either. I've been redeemed. We see Him shielded. But notice that we see him shown something. Moses couldn't know anything really of the glory of God until he was placed in the rock. But now God says, here's what I'm going to do, Moses. While you're in this walk, I still can't let you see everything. But I can let you see something. Can I say that, oh, praise God, I don't know everything. My wife just almost shouted when I said that. I don't know everything. I could listen, if we took the knowledge of of who God is, and it was a vast ocean, what this piddly preacher knows wouldn't fill a thimble. But I've seen the back parts of His glory. I've not seen everything. I don't claim to have seen everything. But I've gotten a taste. I don't know everything, but I know a little something about who He is. Because He's shown Himself to me. You know, the lost man, he doesn't understand anything about God. He can't. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they're spiritually discerned. But you know what it says of believers? It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We know something of Him. He's been manifest in the flesh and shown to us. And I want you to notice one final thing. We see Moses shielded. We see Moses shown something. But the, Oh, I like this. Look what it says. Look what it says. Look over in the next chapter. You, you know that uh, <laughs> the next chapter is, is where the Lord actually shows himself to Moses. 
Look at verse number five. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that by no means clear that will by no means clear the guilty. Can I say to you, listen to me this morning, if you're here lost without Christ, you're so scared to come and know the Lord, but you'd be amazed if you just stand on that rock, you'd be amazed what he's really like. Whenever God finally told his name to Moses, and it took a lot to say it, and he didn't even get all of it said, I don't think. There's a lot more that there is to know of God. But he says, Moses, you want me to summarize my glory? You want me to tell you who I am? He says, merciful. Gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But then he says, and that will by no means clear the guilty. He's saying, Moses, if you'll stand on that rock, you can be forgiven. But if you won't stand on that rock, I'll by no means clear the guilty. Then notice what it says. It says, and Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Now, now, all, all through this, we, we find that, that God renews the commission he had made to Moses, and he, and he makes some statements. But look what happens in verse 29. It says, And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand. When he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. We see Moses shielded. We see Moses shown some things. But we see Moses shining with the glory of God after he was placed in the rock. You say, what changes a man being placed in that rock? That's what changes a man. What is it that makes these Christians shout the way they do? They've been to the rock. What is it that makes them maintain hope in the darkest night? They've been to the rock. What is it that can make them weep while they shout, shout while they weep, rejoice when they're uh, placing a casket in the ground? What can make them do that? Because they've been to the rock. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, that wasn't Moses that was shining. That was the glory shining. How was it? Moses didn't shine before he went to the rock. It was only when he came from it. The rock itself hadn't been shining. It was the glory that came from God when he passed by. And can I say, God saves you, you'll never be the same. Oh, there'll be times you'll get out in the dirt of the world and that that shining may seem a little dim, but it never goes away. You go to Calvary, you'll walk away changed. You go to Calvary, you'll walk away not only saved, but separated and sanctified and shining for his glory. Christ can do in you what you can't do. Moses couldn't do it. But if he'd just go and stand on the rock and let God place him in it, God could do in him something that Moses never could.